0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
1: Welcome to a Hump Day edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte along with Michael Brawner joining you this afternoon. And of course, have great guests scheduled for you this afternoon, Tim Benz. We'll be talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and their draft, Andrew Parrish. The Crimson Tide have made some roster changes as far as NATO to the basketball team are concerned. Of course, the red-hot South Alabama Jaguar baseball program. Their head coach, Mark Calvey, will join us as they have an upcoming series with Southern Miss. We'll also talk to Paul Gallant to let us know why the Houston Texans selected a A couple of offensive and defensive players that are going to try to get the Texans out of the basement. And at 530, we'll turn it over to my man, Michael Brawner, and he'll be giving us everything we need to know with his partner in their WNSP Now podcast. Michael
2: Bronner, 530. You guys got it. Throw it deep live. We actually came out with an episode today. So if you want to advance preview on what we're going to be talking about, it's going to be probably pretty similar stuff. But WNSP now is where you can find that. The throw it deep podcast. Myself and Owen McEnroe are going to be throwing it deep with you at 530 today. Final drive is going to end. Throw it deep is going to begin. But again, as always, you can find all of our online content, as well as me and Corey, as well as Mark and Lee and Nick, as well as John Ricchetti, as well as Tommy Prater, as well as really any of our content WNSP now all under one WNSP now umbrella wherever you get your podcasts
1: well of course yesterday we made mention about the battle with the opening kickoff and that battle being what sport can we find to participate in and we made mention that there was another battle that would be taking place between the opening kickoff and the final drive of course the Nappy Awards, the 2023 Nappy Awards. You can go to votenappies.com under media. And then under media, of course, you can vote for the final drive for the best sports radio show. And, you know, again, there's there's been a little trash talking this morning by one Nick Wiggins and Markheim and Lee Shavanian just kind of was their cheerleader this morning. But you do have the opportunity to. Vote for the final drive for the best sports radio show. Here, going up against. Not only that, but we kind of have double duties. Michael Bronner talking football mm-hmm. with Tracy Turner and Scott Hunter, as well, is on there. Of course, you do a wonderful job producing that show, and I enjoyed my time with Tracy Turner and Scott Hunter. Yeah, we and
2: got a, two shows there. Like, yeah,
1: like two, make no mistake two for about. One. It right there so you can't go wrong with any of those but again voting did open today you can go to voteNappies.com and click on the final drive to go ahead and give us that push because again competition for the record
2: yeah i mean the opening kickoff thinks they're just going to cruise to a back-to-back best sports radio show at mobile title and uh well i i understand why they think that but final drive we we do good stuff on this afternoon show as well i don't uh you know vote com. who knows what might happen here you know we uh we might we might uh surprise some people with these with these votes here
1: well that's exactly what we want to do we want to we want to definitely surprise some people along with not really the surprising comments of one brian kelly you you don't expect your head coach michael to say anything other then I absolutely love beating the Alabama Crimson Tide and that LSU-Alabama rivalry definitely heated up over the last 17 years or so because of one Nick Saban. But, you know, it's probably not as bad as what Jimbo Fisher did and opened his mouth and, <laughs> and look, you know, just flat out saying he wanted to kick Nick Saban's ass. And that's one of the quotes from Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, he followed up with saying that in the offseason and wound up coming away with the win prior to, to last year. But, oh, how quickly Saban things said what, can, at golf? can change. <laughs> there, there you go. And I, I, I just like the fact when you do have the offseason smack talk in between season. all the, the coaches and you, you want the, the players to be on their their best quiet behavior and not give any bulletin board material. But Brian Kelly. Absolutely open that up to be said. And and look, with him saying that, he says he loves beating Alabama. Well, we know he didn't beat Alabama at Notre Dame. Wasn't going to have any success there. And last year, at the end of the day, he got a win. So credit there. But be careful what you ask for. And the streak may continue when Alabama has an opportunity to welcome the LSU Tigers to Tuscaloosa.
2: Yeah, I I can't really hate on Brian Kelly for for saying that he's one and zero against Alabama and the SEC. So good on him. Obviously, you brought up the Notre Dame tenure. I I don't think it's quite fair to to blame him for that. I think the reason why he came to LSU is why you're seeing. I mean, he's recruiting at an extremely high level. He's kind of killing it. And LSU is not a program that's going away. They certainly overachieved in year one. And we'll see what happens in year two. But having continuity at the quarterback position will help. And, and we'll see what happens. Now, do I think they're going to go into Tuscaloosa and win? No, I don't. Uh, it, I think a lot of LSU fans think they do, think they are, and Brian Kelly, I'm sure, thinks he will. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, ironically, LSU has had more success over the over the Nick Saban era in Bryant Denny Stadium than they have in Tiger Stadium. So. I did say what you want about the home field advantage there. It's not like it's impossible for LSU to win in Bryant-Denny Stadium. But it's funny that Brian Kelly came out and said that today. He's 1-0, so, you know, talk your talk. But the interesting thing for Brian
1: Kelly is when, when you, as a head coach, make those kind of statements, Jimbo Fisher, again, made those statements back in 2021 in the offseason. Then he turns around and beats Alabama on a last second field goal. Ugh. Made him look like a prophet. Made him look right. He didn't have to eat that crow. Didn't have to eat those words. The the student had finally beaten the teacher. The well, we'll first Saban assistant to beat him. Th- this is not a student-teacher relationship. This is just one to where Brian Kelly, he got handed. He got his rear end handed to him a couple of times when yeah. he was at Notre Dame. And, and just didn't have a lot of success. I will
2: say credit to the 2020 Notre Dame team. They played Alabama better than most teams that season. I, I think Alabama won that game by, like, 20. I, I don't remember the score off the top of my head. But it wasn't like an epic beatdown. It wasn't like the 42-14 to 14 in the 2012 National Championship. It, it wasn't that bad. But uh, I, I'd be curious, though, where do you rank Brian Kelly among best coaches in college football I, frankly i have him third
1: in in college football he's definitely a top five yeah because of his success year in and year out at notre dame couldn't get over
2: the hump and and said look you know i don't think nick saban would be able to get over the hump at notre dame i, so. I,
1: I agree with you there that part is very interesting so I, I just when i'm looking at what they have to accomplish when when you make a statement and being able to to talk it down i think that Brian Kelly coming in saying, look, put it on that fake accent during his press conference, trying to buy in. My family. <laughs> his, his, his southern accent was one that, you know, he probably regrets that during that press
2: conference. Do you think that was on purpose? Do you think he, like, thought before that basketball game, like, all right, I, 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 I got to put a little twang on I, this.
1: I, I think he thought it was a great idea. <laughs>
2: I really do. Or do you I, think he kind of just, like, got caught up in the moment no, and, like, I, I slipped into it? I think he thought it was a great idea. Because, like, he slipped into character. When I go home, like if, if you don't know, I'm from New Jersey. When I go home, my friends will say, I have a southern accent. And I don't, frankly. I don't, you know, people from here will say, oh, like, you don't have a New Jersey accent. I know because, you know, frankly, people, from, people who have a Jersey accent are – garbage people but that being said uh like i'll go home and my friends will say oh you have a southern accent now which isn't true but you know you slip into it a little bit well he definitely slipped into character for longer
1: than one or two sentences now again brian kelly again top five college coach in football right now college football just because of the results that he's continued to win he's continued to win every the, the places he's been and credit to him last year in his first year. And sometimes when you do win in your first year, I think that's even yeah. more pressure on Brian Kelly. And he says he loves beating Alabama. Well, hey. he finally got an opportunity to
2: see what it felt like for sure. Well, hang on. If you have him top five, I'm, I'm assuming you put him at five. Who who's who do you have ahead of him? Well, of, of I, besides course, besides Kirby and Saban, I have him third. You you definitely have Kirby and Saban. That's the you, un- you, unarguables. You you have to
1: you have to look at. What's been going on at at, at Clemson? I think Dabo oh. as a whole has done a, a great job. I knock him from down a, top a few five. pegs. Um, I, I want to say maybe Ohio State. Ryan Day. Ryan Day has done a, a, an outstanding job at Ohio State. The consistency level is what you're looking for when you try to get to a top five. Yeah. In, 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 my, in my imagination there as far as Brian Kelly mm, being a top three coach. Uh, maybe no, top five for sure. I, I think that that's a route you could definitely go. But to be able to make those statements, the, the only I got Dado co- outside the top five, by uh, the way, the only other college coach that I think that really talked a lot of smack and didn't really care was probably one Tommy Tuberville. And I think Tuberville, mm-hmm. anytime you can give Bama a thumb, you walk that walk and talk that talk. He didn't care what he said after that third or fourth iron bowl win in a row he, he was able to back it up now did he win any national championships no what was he sitting there setting the world on fire as a coach no but you were six iron bowls you in a were row. beating your rival six consecutive years yeah and he's yeah. one of those guys in the sec that i thought you know was good for it was going to say things lane kiffin is one of those ones right now if I had to put somebody who who doesn't really care and is unfiltered. It's my guy. From a coaching standpoint and what he says on social media and says to
2: the public, Lane Kiffin, unfiltered. Well, Auburn fans will tell you they didn't want Lane Kiffin at this point, which of course is a lie. Uh, but we got a long offseason. We're going to have to get into this one of these days. We'll have a we'll have a formal debate as to who you want to be the next coach of Alabama. I think the Dabo ship has kind of sailed for a lot of Alabama fans. I know it has for me. I have no interest in Dabo being the next coach at Alabama after Saban, whenever he finally hangs it up, whether it's in two years, three years, five years, whenever. Uh, so we'll have to have a formal who who you want to be the next coach at Alabama debate. I, I want Dabo nowhere near the Alabama. I understand he's a former receiver, yada, 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 uh, but no, no but no. but
1: in, in all fairness, did, did Nick Saban really move the needle when he came to Alabama, and especially after that first season, going 7-6? and six, Of course, we knew he had the, the national championship at LSU, so we knew he could coach. We knew he was successful at Michigan State. I think that because of that, you knew that Alabama would probably be competitive, didn't know that in year three, that, that there would be national championship
2: after national championship coming. Yeah, I would say that, I don't know how big of a statement this is, but I would say that Brian Kelly certainly had a significantly more successful year one at LSU than Nick Saban did at Alabama. I mean, Alabama lost the ULM in 2007, so, you know, I mean, Brian Kelly had did did a phenomenal job you're on he beat alabama he won the sec west obviously they got steamrolled in the sec championship but who didn't get steamrolled by georgia besides mizzou and kent state this year uh so yeah brian kelly i really think he's right up there behind kirby and saban but right up there well again saban saban's higher for a
1: lot of alabama fans it's like okay now we have hopefully some stability within the program and someone who's not gonna look like a deer in the headlights. Yep. Now now you throw out the year one for Nick Saban. Of course, you saw progress and the rest is is history for for that matter. But as far as from a, a coaching standpoint, Brian Kelly definitely moved the needle for LSU football fans. They were happy that he came in and and took over a program that was in shambles 2 years yeah. uh, 2 years removed from a national championship which is
2: incredible how in shambles they were for for how how close they were removed from a national championship obviously Alabama was you know 15 years removed from from their last national championship so certainly a difference there but LSU was probably in comparable comparably worse shape uh but yeah you know, either way they've they've certainly both uh killed it I don't know if Brian Kelly wins a national championship in his first three years at LSU but I do believe Brian Kelly wins a national championship within his first five seasons at LSU I don't think that's crazy
1: I, I don't either I mean because LSU is a hotbed of talent you can go through the SEC West if you can come out SEC champion of course you've already run that gauntlet and you've been prepared It'll just be interesting timing to see how long Brian Kelly will continue to be able to say I love Alabama because there's going to be I love Alabama signs all over Bryant-Denny Stadium. I love beating Alabama signs all over Bryant-Denny Stadium when they play one another in November for sure. But, again, college coaches who are going to talk highly on their program without question. I'm here with my family. <laughs> that, that, that's the one, Brian Kelly family, and that's that, that's who has embraced him, is <laughs> uh, Cajun Nation, The Cajun family. That that was hilarious. Uh, that that press That's an all timer it really is and, and he he took a lot
2: of heat for that well, he also <laughs> was like and i haven't even won all my games yet it was it was a very weird whole thing and then there was the video of him like awkwardly dancing with the recruit and people obviously were making fun of that but you, hey you come in and win all all those yeah, the you know, there's there's nothing you can say you know it's it's you know the goofy dancing and the family and the all my football game there's nothing you can say to him nah. at that point you come in and win it doesn't matter
1: and that's where he is. That I mean, he, he came in in year number one, set the expectation. Look, I have a divisional championship. I want to win the SEC. I either want to knock off Alabama and or Georgia, whoever's in my way. I want to well, go ahead and get back to the top of
2: being the king of college football as well just so happens they're both going to be in his way for pretty much his entire time at lsu i think so i we'll see what happens i i don't think lsu beats alabama this year but if there's a year to do it it's this year julian sayings coming in next year and alabama's quarterback situation isn't going to be as weak but it's back at tiger stadium we'll see what happens
1: the final drive on wnsp 105.5 and again the competition with the opening kickoff not only in the nappy awards you can go to votenappies.com and under media under best sports show click on the final drive competitions heating up we're trying to select events that we want to take on nick wiggins markheim and lee vanian in yesterday we spent most of the app trying to find some events and of course markheim will be one that will have something to say about what events we decide to go ahead and participate in. The Final Drive will be right back.
0: Hey, this is Bucket Blakes from the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile.
1: Welcome back to the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner joining you on this hump day and hope everyone's had a a great work week so far. And, of course, we were just talking about Brian Kelly and his fake Southern draw at his press conference. And what was not fake was what we saw last night in the NBA. Of course, the Los Angeles Lakers go into Golden State and Mm. steal game one. Victory lap for me on that one. And, And I had that. What what do you have? What you have to do is if you look here in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference Finals or semifinals so far, what what you start to see is the Knicks they drop one at home to the Heat, and now you start looking at Golden State dropping one at home to the Lakers. Of course, the Suns they lose two to the Denver Nuggets, and no Chris Paul for probably the next three games for Phoenix. So a team that already over anyway. It's it's tough now because again the the Denver Nuggets being a number 1 seed having an opportunity to go ahead and and take care of Phoenix uh without a, a CP3 type of performer, but last night it was just the pool that was the shot that my pool that was taken. Michael was was ridiculous, man. You've got two of the sharpest shooters in nba history and i understand there was double teams and you couldn't find a way to get Steph the
2: basketball back but like if it was a buzzer beater sure maybe i guess but chucking up a 30 footer doing a steph curry impression when there's still ten seconds on the clock, and again, like Steph, like he had to give up the ball, he got double teamed. Announcer said, "ABC" in that moment. Anyone but Curry, which like Lakers played it pretty perfectly. You want to give Jordan Poole a wide open thirty footer? Be my guest. That that's fine. And I know Poole had, had a good game too, but like, come on, man, Jordan Poole, what are you doing? He was feeling himself a little bit. Like what? A are you, little bit. He was you, feeling himself a lot. Like just. Like, let Curry run around for five more seconds. I'd rather give Curry a 45-footer than have Jordan Poole take a 30-footer. Like, what are we doing?
1: Now, I, I will say this. What's interesting when you look at the Los Angeles Lakers so far, say what you want to say about Anthony Davis. AD has come in to a Lakers organization, and LeBron had some strong comments for where A.D. may belong in the history of Los Angeles Lakers basketball. And I know A.D. had a 30-point performance and 23 rebounds, but that's tough when you start listening what LeBron James said about his teammate and where he belongs in Laker lore.
0: Um, I mean, the Lakers franchise over the years, over the course of their uh, existence has always had Dominic Um, big men and dominant guys that have been a force at the rim and um, you know that's why that's why their jerseys are in the rafters Um, and 80 will be up there when he's done playing and and, uh, you know the number three will be up in the rafters and uh, he continues to show uh, why um, he's one of the best players that we have in this league and um, you know and for us, it's, it's just a treat for us to be able to have such a dynamic player that can, you know, not not only go out and get you 30 and 20, but also you know command the paint defensively.
1: 30 and 20 is impressive, but putting Davis's number in the
2: rafter, <laughs> that's why it belongs in the rafters. You know, it's funny, and, and I know you can't see the clip if you're listening, but AD is sitting next to LeBron in his sunglasses. Even AD is like, hmm, like, <laughs> rafters <laughs>
1: that's, that, that that's i mean we know goat status for lebron james
2: we we know and that word is thrown around too often but like <laughs> rafters
1: that that's probably somewhere i don't see even if the lakers find a way to win this nba championship i kind of
2: think they're going to
1: davis does I, I just don't see his jersey needing to be retired by the lakers he can't stay healthy and when he, Davis. It's 82-game season. He's guaranteed to miss 30 or 40 of those throughout his career per season. And when he's healthy, he can produce the type of game he has. But being an all-time great, I just can't put that on an injured player. Now, Joel Embiid, he does win the NBA's most valuable player last night. When you average 33-11, and share the basketball, four and a half assists, shooting over 54% from the field. That part is impressive, Michael Broner, And that's yeah. the reason, after you're runner-up a couple of years to Jokic, mm-hmm. you, you, you finally get over
2: the hump. Philly's on a mission, and he's going to play tonight. He's going to be back. We talked about it yesterday, whether they should or shouldn't play him. Should so- not. So- 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 I mean, sounds like he's healthy. What did we say yesterday? If they lose tonight... Uh, which they may still lose even with Embiid, because the Celtics are the better team uh, even at full strength. Uh, if they if they lose tonight, it's a one. It's a turns into a best of five series. Celtics are going to grab one in Philly, and then you know it's a best of three with th- two of those games being in Boston. You, I still call tonight a must win for Philly. It's like you go up two zero, the series is pretty much over. So good for Embiid. We'll see what happens tonight. We'll
1: see if Harden goes back to back and has any success. Coming up next, we'll talk about. Najee Harris, we'll see if he has any success with the Steelers and has any help. Did Mike Tomlin help the Pittsburgh Steelers get over the hump and become better than just a 500 type franchise? Tim Bents will break that down next for us on the final drive. This is Mayor Sandy
3: Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP.
1: final drive here on WNSP 105.5 hope everyone's having a terrific hump day and Wednesday and of course in concluding the NFL draft we've kind of gone around and found teams that really had an outstanding draft or found a way to get better and every single Reese's Senior Bowl you have Mike Tomlin come down and he's very hands-on and really gets on the field and very close to the players that are participating not only in the Reese's Senior Bowl, but in the Combines as well. And Tim Benz, he handles all the Pittsburgh Steelers pregame activities on DVER radio and want to welcome Tim to the final drive. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Thanks for having me on. Appreciate
3: it. Good to talk to you.
1: Absolutely. And the Pittsburgh Steelers went offensive tackle in round one. And is it to go ahead and find that weakness that was in the offensive line or was that the biggest deficiency with the Pittsburgh Steelers a year ago and that being the reason they decided to go ahead and protect their new investment in Coach and Kenny Pickett?
3: I don't think it was their biggest deficiency in fact, I think the offensive line made a lot of strides last season. They were extremely thin at tackle beyond Dan Moore and Chuk's Corfor. They really didn't have a backup and um to be honest with you, I just I think they're sucking everything they can out of those two guys right now and it's entirely possible that they might have had their best season collectively already, even though um they are both relatively young products. I just don't know how much better they can get. I wonder if they've both hit their ceilings as to being as good as they possibly can. Whereas Broderick Jones from Georgia, I think has a massive ceiling. I think he can be really, really good. So I think they upgraded top and talent position. And I think that they, at the very least gave themselves a depth option. If it's not Jones to start this year and more backing up, which I think you'd be very, very, very good at, you know, you can always, uh, keep him in the starting lineup, too, if Jones needs more time to um, assimilate into the NFL. But I thought it was a really good pick. He was the guy I targeted, and I really wanted them to select. They moved up three spots to do it. Had they taken a corner in the first round, I would have been okay with that, especially with the likes of Christian Gonzalez far, falling as far as he did. Uh, they needed, That was probably the biggest deficiency. They just they didn't have enough good cornerbacks, but then they got one of those in the second round with Joey Porter Jr. as well.
2: Uh, Tim, being a Patriots fan, I was pretty happy. Well, I was mad when we initially traded down uh, in typical Belichick fashion, but I was pretty happy to see the Steelers get the guy I believe the Jets were going to take in Broderick Jones. Do you think that they needed to trade up to get Broderick Jones, or do you think there was a chance he would have fallen to 17 anyway?
3: Well, I was joking that my belief is Belichick enjoyed so much screwing over the Jets. That's exactly that he should what given I the said. The Steelers, the fourth round pick <laughs> instead of the other way around. Um, like, I think there was very much an added benefit there. Belichick picks up the fourth rounder. Uh, the Patriots get the extra pick. Uh, the Jets uh, get jumped by the Steelers to take a guy that a lot of people in New York's media assume the Jets wanted. They then take Will McDonald, who's a nice player, I think a late first-rounder to maybe the mid-second round, but they end up taking him at 15, which seemed to be, if not a panic pick, then a reach. Um, no one is saying on the record that that's exactly what happened, but you know you saw some of the reactions like, uh, what's his name, grow from the Patriots when he was asked about it. This big smirk came across his face immediately <laughs> after the draft. So I, I don't know if it was intended to screw the Jets, But it was a nice little benefit, and you get the fourth-rounder, and you get Christian Gonzalez anyway. Uh, I think that's well executed by the Patriots. Like I said, if the Steelers had wound up with Gonzalez, I would have been just as happy with that because, like I said, they need corner help too, and there were good tackles to be had in the second round um, if they had decided to go cornerback with the first pick on the next day.
2: Tim, I gotta tell you, you're pushing the exact same narrative that I've been telling my Jets fan friends. They they think Belichick wasn't thinking that way, but he I, I, he certainly was.
3: When doesn't he? <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, and, and think about it from Omar Khan's perspective. It's his first draft as general manager of the Steelers, and he swings a trade with the hated Patriots. I mean, when in their existence have the Steelers ever looked to the Patriots for assistance? But They must have had some sense that the Jets were going to take Broderick Jones if the Steelers were wrong and the Jets weren't going to take Jones and the Steelers gave up a fourth round pick out of paranoia. So be it. Um, I think they got a really good guy. And, and, you know, if you had stuck me in a time machine the day before the draft and then I came back to the future the day of the draft and I said, I've, I've been to the future. You know, I, the flex capacitor has worked. I've come back from the future and I've seen that the Steelers will get Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr. in the first 32 selections. Everybody here would have been doing backflips because I do think people like Porter Jr., But I do think there would have been sort of the whole, well, do they just take him in the first round over everybody else because he's Peasy's kid? And I think there would have been some legitimate griping about that with some of the good players on the board. But when you take him at 32, now he becomes good value. And uh, you need help with the position, like I said. So um, I think it turned out quite nicely for him.
1: Well, the Steelers, offensively, when you give the rock to Najee Harris, and again, him being in his third year, And, of course, defensively picking up Minka Fitzpatrick a couple of years ago. You've got that Bama standard, and you start to see that with the Philadelphia Eagles and their ownership saying, look, there's nothing wrong with Alabama's products or Georgia's products. They've only won X amount of games and national championships, so we've seen what they can do. But how cool is it when you start teaming up people like Najee Harris and Minka Fitzpatrick from the same school and the bond that they have amongst their teammates?
3: Yeah, and Washington, the big tight end from Georgia, ended up coming to the Steelers with their fourth pick, their third. I mean, yeah, their fourth pick, second in the third round, or however that works. They're only one in the third round because they got two in the in the um, second round. But they've been doing that with Georgia guys. Uh, they've been doing it with Alabama guys. I mean, they keep drafting a Wisconsin player every single year. Um, they drafted another one in the second round uh, to play defensive line It might be a little bit of a uh, – Cam Hayward Light. I, I actually think of him more as a Javon Hargrave type, and that's Keanu Benton. So they've got him. Um, they've got Herbig's little brother, Nick Herbig, the outside linebacker to back up TJ Watt, another Badger. They had Derek Watt. So, yeah, they do a lot of that here in Pittsburgh. And you're right about the Georgia thing. The, the Georgia players between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has more Georgia guys than I think the actual state of Georgia at this point.
2: Why on earth did George Pickens last season drop in the second round? And is Darnell Washington going to end up being just as valuable? I know there was probably a flag on him medical-wise, which I guess was a similar situation with Pickens, but didn't seem to affect him much his rookie year.
3: Right. You know, I think people were worried because it was so close to the ACL. And although he did come back, and you know, I, from what I understand, the Steelers weren't scared at off. By, scared off at all by what they saw from him in his pro day so I don't know why anybody else would have been but you know there are a lot of receivers taken um it was a deep draft it was a matter of um you know taste for what you wanted in your system I guess I mean now getting a look at him and seeing what he's done I'm surprised too he lasted that long and coming from a program like Georgia uh you figure that maybe somebody else would have taken a chance before the Steelers did but I'm sure glad it worked out the way it did. That he, I think he can develop into a number one. I, I was very frustrated by the middle portion of last season. It finally started to change the last two or three games where you know, they, I think they kept the playbook way too simple for Pickens. I mean, it was just run down the field and occasionally we will throw up a deep shot to you. It was like they felt he was allergic to running over the field. And I don't think it was him. I think it was them. And I think they were a little allergic to having Kenny Pickett force too many balls over the field. They just, they really dumbed down that offense. And we can talk about adding to the defense, adding the offensive line. We can talk about the growth and development of some of the skill players. It's, it all comes down to Kenny Pickett. Um, they They have to expand that offense. And we have to see if he can handle the expanded offense. Uh, they played bad teams in the second half of the season. The defense played better. The run game found itself. The offensive line didn't miss a snap practically the whole season. All five guys played together collectively. And now they got to put the big boy, big boy pants on Pickett and let him just be an NFL quarterback instead of giving him bite-sized portions.
1: Mike Tomlin, the Steelers' head coach, I mean, they haven't won a playoff game since 2016. And I think that when you look at the hot seat, in coaching even though he's gone over 500 which is superb and outstanding and it's hard to do year after year after year every single year he's been with pittsburgh but his contract is getting ready to end the steelers go nine and eight this year or only a couple of games above 500 will mike tomlin return as the pittsburgh steelers head coach
3: yeah i think he's gonna have to like bottom out you know because he's never had the losing season which has sort of become its own punchline around here in pittsburgh everybody says it as a compliment but at the same time a little bit as a dart too because of what you pointed out they haven't won a playoff game since 2016 and they are now in the longest playoff such stretch of not having a win since before the immaculate reception um, people say is as, as a double-edged thing. It's equal parts a compliment at the same time a reminder that's the best compliment you can pay for the last last half decade. So uh, I, I know where Steelers fans are frustrated. I'm frustrated in, in constantly using that parenthetical thought too, but I don't think ownership is ready to make a move on Mike Tomlin by any stretch. Uh, I think he's going to have to have a losing season A and then follow that up with, like I said before, really bottoming out to like a – Four or five win kind of season. Um, They have so much faith in him, and he has built up such goodwill within the ownership group that, for as much as confidence might be eroding within the fan base, uh, the fans are about, I think, three or four years ahead of that process from where the owner is.
2: Talking to Tim Benz, he's the Steelers pregame host on 1025 WDVE in Pittsburgh. Tim, the NFC, AFC North, rather, I would say, got a lot stronger. Obviously, the Ravens had weapons around Lamar Jackson. You have to figure the Browns are going to start to figure it out with Deshaun Watson, and the Bengals are going to still be the Bengals. What are your expectations legitimately for the regular season and what is a very difficult AFC overall? Yeah, legitimately, I think
3: they should aim to be – a contender for a mid-level wild card. Like, you know, they were a nine-win team and just barely missed it last year. There's no reason to think that they should step back with a quarterback they've invested in that they took in the first round. and As we mentioned earlier, took some important baby steps and showed some optimism, I think, with the way he performed in the last couple of games with some game-winning drives. Um, you know, I like the picket pick. pick. I, I don't think he's going to be Joe Montana, but you know, I, I think he could be Matt Hasselback, you know, and get you to a Super Bowl and be a pro bowler a couple times. I think he could be that. And if you have a good team around him, which the Steelers have often done before, have teams that have been better than the quarterbacking that they've had. Um, you know, they've been good enough to get to AFC championship games and occasionally a Super Bowl and then they won Super Bowls once once they found a quarterback in Roethlisberger. So like I'm of the opinion that the team is better this year than it was this time a year ago. The quarterback is much better than it was this time a year ago, meaning Pickett's better than he was as a rookie and better than Mitch Trubisky when he signed. So I'm looking at maybe a 10-win team, and some people have the bar even higher than that. I caution those folks, though, in remembering the big element that we pointed out before. With an expanded offense is going to come the opportunity for the second-year quarterback to lose some games as well. It's not just going to be the expanded offense means they win a bunch more he's going to throw a few more picks because, well, just because. That's what's going to happen when you make the quarterback throw more times. So um, I think there'll be about a 10-win team. And without the benefit of that terrible second half of the schedule, that also bakes in a few more losses than they would have otherwise had. So that balances out the improvement they might make. But I think come January, this will be a better Steelers team than what it was last January that should manifest in getting into the playoffs. And maybe it'll manifest in being – competitive in the playoffs as opposed to getting their doors blown off by Kansas City the last time they were in and embarrassing themselves the previous time when they lost the home in the COVID year to the Browns
1: last question for you in the about a month and a half ago when Major League Baseball started would you have thought that the Pittsburgh Pirates would have tied the Atlanta Braves for the best record in the National League
3: no way <laughs> I'll be I'll be more surprised if the Steelers go 0 and 17 or 17 and 0 than what's going on with this Pirates right now. This is a stunner. Um, you know this. I, I looked at them as maybe making strides to the point that they were like a 72 win team. They were a 62 win team a year ago. Uh, I thought that with O'Neal Cruz a year under his belt, he could be a real star this season. He showed, I think, a lot of potential to own the strike zone better than he did when he first got called up and. There's just some elements of the team that I just thought were better, and, you know, 10-game improvement's pretty healthy in Major League Baseball. Well, you know, when you go 20-9 and to start, um, now you can raise your eye level some, and and maybe that gets you to 500. Maybe that gets you into the wild-card hunt. I think the team that qualified with the lowest win total last year was at 87 wins. Uh, You go 20-9 and to start, you put yourself in that contention, but... You know, we've seen this act before from the Pirates before they made those wild cards in 13 through 15. In 11 and 12, they were great to start the year then just fell apart in August and September. And people draw connections in a positive way to those teams about this being the foundation for maybe a real contender two years from now. Well, a part of that building was remembering how things fell apart late. So I am using that as a caveat, as a couch for my optimism. But I've really been impressed with what they've done so far. They run like crazy. They've embraced the new rules of baseball better than any other team in Major League Baseball, and it's at least made them fun to watch. I mean, my God, here I am in anticipation of Rays Pirates tonight uh, with (laughs) Mitch Keller on the mound against Shane McClanahan. What's that tell you?
1: Absolutely. Tim, how can people follow all your great coverage of not only the Steelers, but when you dig in there, talk about the Pirates also.
3: Yeah, and the Penguins too, and duquesne basketball play-by-play play, robert morris hockey when they come back just go to at tim PGH. It's my twitter account and you can read everything i do at breakfast with Benz at trib live that's the pittsburgh tribune reviews website
1: thank you so much tim appreciate your time here on the final drive and we look forward to talking to you again real soon
3: yeah anytime pleasure being on and look forward to coming on again in the future all the best to you guys likewise
1: the final drive here on wnsp 105.5 we'll be right back
4: Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSP.
1: The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner joining you this hump day. And, of course, we love the fact that the Nappy Awards voting process is out, and we mentioned the competition with the morning show and the opening kickoff that we're getting ready to – to try to settle on a couple of events that we can participate in and take on Lee Shavanian and Nick Wiggins and Markheim, Michael Braun and our – we're ready to take them on in any sport that they decide that they want to battle us with. And, of course, now we're battling for a Nappy Award nomination as well.
2: I like the idea that someone had in the app of uh, we each pick a sport and then – Good play, do both because I know they'll pick basketball. I give us a shot in basketball. How great would it be if we just beat them both at our game and their game? I think we're, I think we're, unless you're bad, and you got to tell me if you're bad at cornhole because I think we're like gonna smoke them in cornhole. Cornhole is one of those sports to where again Lee can get in on the cornhole. Yeah, and tell me if you're bad. I that these are things I have to know. Just be honest with me. I'm not gonna. It's gonna be okay. We'll find something else. Again, it's the flick of the wrist, Mike. You know, I know what it's. I, with, I know what it bag. is. But you still got to it, put the
1: corn. You still got to put the bag in the hole. I, I don't think that that part is a problem because anytime you can have two bags and find a way to go ahead and and utilize copy paste four that, times. That, that is absolutely, you know, with you being my tag team partner there. I, I think we can help one another. Go Again, I would and, just need you to
2: keep mark and check, like maybe let him score once, maybe score once in a while and then we'll do the scoring in in the nick rounds cuz that's how cornhole works. Like if, if you can just keep mark in check, then uh you know, I can I can just destroy Nick and and that would be nice and easy. O'Daly's oh, well, has cornhole. We we want to
1: go ahead and tuck them in no matter what sport it is. We want to make sure that we go ahead and we have the bragging rights for the final drive over the opening kickoff and that's something that again we're going to take real seriously because I know Nick is a competitor Mark is a competitor Lee's a competitor you're a competitor none of us like to lose no matter what it is especially when you put sports or some type of competition in front of it we want to go ahead and and have bragging rights here on the final drive coming up next Andrew Parrish We'll be joining us at the top of the hour. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Michael Brawner joining you on this hump day. And, of course, basketball offseason is here. The Alabama Crimson Tide and the Auburn Tigers have both gone through some roster changes, some coaching changes also. And Andrew Parrish from Crimson Crossover joins us to talk about some of the newest acquisitions that Nate Oates has made to his roster. Andrew, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive.
5: Thank you guys for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Talk to us about Nate Oates and the transitions that he's making within his roster. Of course, we know that Jaquan Walton was a signee who never even enrolled and had an opportunity before he got into some legal issues and some trouble, but the Alabama Crimson Tide reacted quickly. And NATO's has been able to get some other great additions to that roster that was ranked number one in the country this year.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you have a lot of players that, you know, either go to the NBA draft in the in the case of Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney, as well as some, you know, guys that hit the transfer portal, uh, talking about Namari Burnett, Jaden Bradley, obviously you're gonna have some spots to fill. And I think Nate Oates has done a really good job with that, uh, both with Aaron Estrada, uh, the uh, two-time Colonial Athletic Association player of the year, uh, coming in as a grad transfer, as well as Latrell Reitzel uh, from Cal State Fullerton, who's got uh, two years left and uh, should provide some good guard depth, both of them being backcourt players. I I think that those two additions have really been able to sort of supplement what, what we already have, and, you know, Mark Sears and, and guys like that, uh, you know, those two additions will be able to sort of man the backcourt spots and, and help Alabama sort of replenish some of that depth that they uh, they lost to the transfer portal.
2: Andrew, obviously expectations are high now that Nate Oates has raised the bar. How realistic is it? Obviously they're not going to win 31 games and a double SEC title this year. How How realistic is it to expect – some semblance of success in uh, what is going to be a transition year, I would call it for Alabama.
5: Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. You know, obviously the expectation should not be 31 wins and, and winning two SEC titles. That's really lofty uh, goals for for a team like you said that's in transition for not having you know Brandon Miller anymore, who was obviously one of the better players in Alabama basketball history. Um, but you know, just looking across the landscape of the SEC, uh, I did my uh, I did some rankings on my Twitter the other day. Uh, where I was ranking the current, you know, states of the rosters, and I put Alabama fourth uh, in that across the SEC. Uh, I think they're sort of towing that line of, you know, being in contention for a double-buy in the SEC tournament uh, just because they bring back, you know, in theory, bringing back, uh, you know, a guy like Mark Sears, Charles Bediaco, hopefully Javon Quinterly as well, uh, and then also bringing in Aaron Estrada and Latrell Reitzel, as well as also bringing back, uh, you know, guys like Ryland Griffin, Nick Pringle, and then also the freshman class. You know, there's just a lot of different, you know, factors that sort of led to me thinking, you know, there's a lot that this team is bringing back as well as adding some really talented pieces. And, you know, there's still two spots left on the roster, so there's still some some more to be added to that. Um, but, I, you know, right now I, I think that, you know, Having the expectation, or you know, potentially the hope of getting a double buy in the SEC tournament, which is finishing in the top four, you know, I think that's a pretty realistic goal right now for this team.
2: Yeah, I want to ask you about Wrightsill and Estrada. What can Alabama fans expect out of these guys? I think you know, other than people who followed the program really, really closely, which I think that number has certainly gone up, especially in this past year. I think a lot of people obviously are focused on spring football more so than what Alabama basketball is doing in the transfer portal. So give the the fans down here who might not be familiar with exactly what Alabama has done in the portal, a little preview of what we can expect from the guys that Alabama has brought in.
5: Sure. So I'll start with Estrada, uh, who's probably the more marquee name of the two. Uh, he averaged 20 points, uh, five rebounds and four assists a game this year uh, at Hofstra, which, you know, you may not have ever heard of Hofstra, but they were, they were actually a top 100 team in Ken Palm this year. Uh, one of the better teams uh, in the mid major ranks, uh, they they were playing in the Colonial Athletic Association with teams like Charleston, uh, who was also another top 100 team uh, that really gave them a lot of challenges. Charleston is the one that ended up going to the tournament, but Hopster was the second best team in that league. Uh, and with Estrada, you'll get you know a six foot four guard, uh, you know can, can stretch it out from three. Shot 37 percent from three this year. Uh, you know really volume score uh, also brings a lot of experience. Uh, he'll be a fifth year senior. Uh, this year, he's already played at a couple of different schools, uh, played at St. Peter's as well as Oregon. Uh, so he's got a lot of experience under his belt in a lot of different situations. Uh, will bring you know a lot of size to that guard position uh, as well as, like I said, scoring, uh, shooting as well. And then also he rebounds well for his position uh, and also passes well for his his sort of size. Uh, has had one of the higher assist rates in the entire country uh, last year playing for, for Hofstra. So I, I would expect him to come in and, and potentially slot into that starting lineup uh, next to Mark Sears. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes once we get into actual you know fall practice and that sort of thing. But that's where I would have him expected to be. And then moving on to Reitzel, uh, you know, he's at uh, Cal State Fullerton uh, for three years, uh, shot 37% from three as well. Uh, you know, Cal State Fullerton is another team that was uh, just on the outside of the top 100, uh, but he was he was their leader. Uh, you know, he'll bring a lot of experience and, and size. Again, he's six foot three, uh, 190 pounds, so you know he he'll bring a lot of size to that backcourt uh, to to sort of you know, supplement what we already have, you know, with Mark Sears, Estrada, as well as Javon Quinterly, you know, I don't necessarily expect Wrightsell to be a starter uh, unless he comes in and really impresses, but, you know, having that guy that averaged, you know, 17 points a game last year at a pretty decent level in the big West, uh, you know, I think that's just two really savvy additions by NATO to really, you know, sort of highlight, accentuate what we already have in the backcourt.
1: Speaking with Andrew Parrish from the Crimson crossover and, Andrew, I think one of the biggest questions that Alabama fans have is you look at Arkansas taking that global tour and you see a lot of teams tour the country or outside of the country to have an offseason bonding process. Is Alabama taking any of those tours outside of the country or going anywhere in the off-season that will allow their new roster to become accustomed to three new coaches that will be on the staff also?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, they, they took the foreign tour last year. So every four years you can take an, a foreign tour uh to a you know, a country and play a couple of games in the preseason and we used ours last year. Uh so unfortunately we won't have that available to us, but uh we are actually traveling outside the country uh for a game this year, as it turns out, uh, that was just announced today. Uh we'll be playing Purdue in Toronto, uh which will be a really fun game. Uh, You know, get outside the country, uh, sort of that bonding that you were talking about, uh, as well as a homecoming for Charles Bediaco uh, going up against uh, potentially Zach Eadie up in Toronto. It will be really entertaining and really great for him to get a homecoming game, uh, you know, in his his third season at Alabama. But unfortunately, we won't get the foreign tour like you're talking about. But, um, you know, you you mentioned Arkansas. They they won't get one either. It's every four years, and both Alabama and Arkansas used one uh, last summer.
1: Andrew Parrish joining us from the Crimson Crossover. I can't thank you enough for taking time out to get us kind of acclimated and sped up to where Alabama will be standing from a roster standpoint. And like you mentioned, the biggest point is that Nate Oates still has two open roster spots available that I think will be huge for them as well. And, if you're looking to fill those last two spots, has Alabama had anybody scheduled to come on campus? Because I know Barry Dunning Jr. coming right here from Mobile, Alabama, and McGill Tulin was at Arkansas. I know that NATO and them showed him a lot of love when he was coming out of high school.
5: Yeah, there's not really any uh, you know scheduled visits right now. I know there's been a little bit of you know discussion about you know Alabama's pursuit of USC transfer Trey White. Who's a six foot seven sort of forward type? You know, sort of what Jaquan Walton was going to be. There's some some talk about him coming onto campus in the next you know month or two, but we'll we'll have to see how that one goes. Uh, As far as Barry Dunning specifically, uh, I am not personally expecting him to really be recruited by Alabama uh, per se. Uh, I actually saw the other day that he was on an official visit to UAB, so that might be an interesting uh, landing spot for him to go play for Andy Kennedy up in Birmingham. Uh, you know, sort of having the local tie, but you know, I think I think Trey White is a name to look out for. Uh, you know, given that there's been some some rumblings about his interest in Alabama and and getting him a visit. Uh, other than that, you know, it's kind of quiet on the on the home front right now. Uh, we'll have to sort of see how things develop. Uh, right now, it seems like the staff is really focusing on you know getting their 2024 uh, freshman recruiting class together. Uh, Spent a lot of time up uh, in the Northeast doing some recruiting for that. So we'll have to see how that that comes together. But uh, as far as this season's roster, uh, not really a whole lot to report on at the moment.
2: Last one I have for you, Andrew. Uh, What's the official update as to the assistant coach search i mean they hadn't really filled out the st- I mean you bring in austin Claunch and then there was i can't remember exactly what happened with the pelicans assistant and then there was a third spot to fill just uh you know fill everyone in on exactly what the deal is with the assistant coach search
5: sure so you mentioned austin clonch uh he's officially uh hired on it at, at alabama and he's Former sitting head coach is not uh, is nothing to slouch at. You know that's a really great hire by NATO to get a sitting head coach from a, a an NCAA D one school to come in and be an assistant coach for you. So that, that's a great hire to start with. Uh, the the Pelicans assistant you mentioned, uh, Ryan Pinnone, uh He, as far as I know, is actually he's doing some recruiting for Alabama right now. Uh, you know he's he's already changed his Twitter bio to say he's an assistant coach at Alabama. I think that one's just up to the board of trustees, you know, sort of getting all the official, you know, paperwork stuff, you know, ironed out. But it looks like he will be the second assistant, head, assistant coach, uh, you know, coming from the NBA background, also was the head coach of the Birmingham squadron uh, up in Birmingham in the G League. Uh, so he's got a lot of experience internationally as well as, you know, in the country, uh, you know, going around working at a really high level. So I think that's a really impressive hire by Nate uh, once it's officially, uh, you know, announced. And then the third spot is, you know, there's been some rumblings, but I, I'm not really at liberty to sort of mention who that's going to be specifically. We'll have to see how it plays out, uh, you know, you know, with with all the official NCAA stuff and and everything else that we have, that everybody has to go through. Uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out uh, as far as getting that third spot in. But I think there is a name in mind, uh, but we'll have to see, you know, what what they officially do with it.
1: Andrew how can everyone follow all your coverage of the Crimson Tide basketball program?
5: Uh so you can follow me on Twitter at uh Andrew Parish 1 and that's Parish with two Rs. Uh, and that we're doing a lot of stuff with Crimson Crossover, you know, trying to provide as much off-season content as we can uh, to keep fans up to date with with basketball. Obviously in Alabama, you know, football is king and that's it's understandable, But, you know, as, as we try to move through the off season of basketball, we try to keep people up to date as much as we can uh, with things that are going on both for Alabama as well as the rest of the SEC. So you can follow me there, and that's where most of my stuff will be.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. Appreciate it. You have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, you guys, too. Andrew Parrish, Crimson Crossover, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And when we come back, we'll talk about My favorite celebration of all time, Michael's favorite celebration of all time. Of course, in regards to sports, when you score, when you hit a home run, when you win that gold medal, the best sport celebration that you've seen or heard of. We'd love to hear from you too. All that coming up next on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB
6: pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
1: The final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brawner. And before we went to break, we were talking about the favorite celebration of all time by a sporting team. And, of course, here within the last week, the Atlanta Braves, when they had a home run, they would put on a big hat. And one of the sponsors, New Era, got pretty pretty upset and said, no, that's, that's not one of our products. That's not a New Era big hat that you're putting on your head in the dugout after you hit a home run. So they banned the Atlanta Braves big hat celebration. Now, I love to see a great celebration after a touchdown, after winning a gold medal, even when you are in a situation to where you win a NASCAR event and you flip off the back of it. I think some of the NFL celebrations are the best. And, of course, the National Football League used to stand No Fun League because they they penalized you for doing the end zone dances. But when you have an opportunity to do the soul train line after scoring a touchdown, you get all your teammates involved or doing the Dirty Bird or the Funky Chicken or the Icky Shuffle, all these celebrations, and now you have the gritty. Tim Tebow scores a touchdown, says call me. All these celebrations, I love to see a great and creative celebration, Michael Bronner. Why do you think Major League Baseball, outside of that license era, if if you had a new era hat, a big hat new era, that they could market and sell, do you think the Atlanta Braves would still be able
2: to do their big hat celebration? I mean, maybe. Baseball is classically anti-fun, so... I mean, we talk about NFL, no fun league, no celebrations, but, like, baseball is the one that really applies to. So maybe, maybe not, but it's pretty funny that they went so far as to ban the big hat because it's not a new era product, God forbid.
1: I mean, even seeing Serena Williams do the crip walk after <laughs> she, she wins a match in the Olympics, that, that's pretty good stuff. You know, allow your your athletes to celebrate and show emotion. That's why I love the National Football League. Anytime you can put a cell phone in the end zone and go retrieve it, knowing that you're probably going to score or have the guts to think you're going to score, and pull out a cell phone out of the padding in the end zone as Joe Horn did for the Saints, man, that's that's classic. It doesn't get any better than those types, even though. That's a premeditated celebration because he, he knew where the cell phone was. But I love when you have that type of creativity and are allowed to have that type of creativity as far as celebrations. I hate that baseball, to me, you know, you want it to be a fun game, you want it to be something that everybody can enjoy and watch. And again, I, somebody asked some who put the Sharpie in the sock and signed the football. I
2: think that was Ocho Senko, wasn't it? And, the the
1: one and only i mean he he wears a gold hall of fame jacket on the sidelines when you become creative with your with your not only NFL
2: dances but in all sports i got a good one for you i'll i'll play it instead of saying it all right Being able to run as he
1: shoots the moon to the fans here in green bay that is a disgusting act by randy Mott
2: a disgusting act by Randy Moss is is my favorite what that's like peak Joe Buck nerd era <laughs> <laughs> Randy Moss shooting the moon to the Green Bay fan unreal awesome celebration Randy Moss mooning the Green Bay Packer fans as a Viking and Joe Buck calling his fake moon a quote-unquote disgusting act I don't know if you've ever heard like Joe Buck on a podcast or something these days he's a pretty cool dude I, I think and he's like mellowed out and made fun of himself for that specific clip but like good god like a disgusting act by randy moss by pretending to moon it's like and i love joe buck We i've gotten an argument with mark heim and uh, and nick about this like he's one of my favorites i think he's the best in the biz like i love joe buck I'll, I'll defend him against any joe buck slander but you're talking like 2004 wild card game like peak nerd joe buck disgusting act by randy moss oh come on joe
1: i mean when you fake moon, somebody it'd have been one thing if Moss went ahead and dropped That would have been a
2: disgusting act. Now, now
1: that that's something that you, you probably didn't want to see, right? But in, in baseball, anytime you have that authentic bat flip.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that.
1: I, I love the bat flip in baseball because if you're going to take away the Atlanta Braves big hat celebration and don't want them to do it, the other day in Mexico, some 10 home runs were hit. And they had some type of hat. That they were putting on, I'm quite sure the major league baseball front office didn't like that either. But any type of bat flip to me is is pretty impressive. Now you're probably going to get plugged and pegged the next time you step up to the plate because people don't forget those type of <laughs> celebrations. But. The icky shuffle, you know the Jose, Jose It impressive.
2: Bat flip, where, <laughs> where he just like he launches it. That's the best bat flip of all time. I love a great, a good bat flip is hard to beat. Like if you if you pimp a home run off a pitcher and the pitcher's gonna get upset about it, man, don't give up the home run like that. This, it, it's the most ridiculous debate. Like, should, is it classless to do a to do a bat flip? Like, what are, are you kidding me? What are, what are we talking about? This this is one that that, that I had forgotten about. Oh. The Ole Miss
1: player acting Elijah Moore like he is a dog in the end zone. And it's one thing, to, to great celebration. Lost it, it's him to authentic. Lost him to game. <laughs> it loses you the egg bowl. You can't be too happy with those type of celebrations. I, I think that when you do have a celebration that's classic like that, if you do it on the sidelines, that's one thing. If you're in the NFL and you know you're not going to Receive a fine. And I like I like that. But in in college football, they're gonna throw the flag at you when you score. And people bothered Greg McElroy and and Tim Tebow when he held up the cell phone. Hey, call me. You know after after you score because people had gotten access to his telephone. That's pretty funny because now you know that you're fighting with the fans. But
2: classic Johnny Manziel money sign like no, that no, one's iconic. Th- that
1: one's definitely that type of celebration is iconic. They, the NCAA said, all right. Well, you know, we're gonna throw the flag if you come into the end zone and have the flash the money sign after you score a touchdown. We're gonna throw a flag on you. I so, wanted him to
2: be good in the NFL so
1: badly. I I think a lot of people.
2: I had a manziel Browns jersey. I'll admit
1: it. it. A lot of people want because what he was doing in college, you you couldn't get enough of money manziel and man. what he was doing. You wanted him to score a touchdown because it was just. He was elite. He made it look like it was in the backyard playing playing your neighborhood football. That's what Johnny Manziel made college football look like he's the when guy he was in Texas a&m
2: He's the guy like who NIL was made for. Like imagine how again like you know he was making money from signing autographs, hence the Money Manzel. He got suspended for the first half of a game against Rice. He got really badly punished for a terrible terrible suspension there. But uh yeah, I mean, imagine if Manzel was playing in the NIL era.
1: I mean, it, it was Money Manzel for a reason when he did that situation. He knew that he was getting paid under the table. He was question about his endorsements deals and signing jerseys and receiving money for that so it meant something to Johnny when he scored a touchdown and gave you that money man Zell look but I do agree with the fact that when you're so creative to where you can create a trend such as the dirty bird and you have the entire country with Jamal Anderson and the Atlanta Falcons doing the dirty bird on their route to trying to win a Super Bowl or you have everybody from Pee Wee football all the way up doing the gritty. Or when I was growing up doing the Icky Shuffle <laughs> from the Cincinnati Bengals. How These d- are things that aren't going to be f- forgot about. Kimbe Matumbo with the finger wag. Jordan, Every, Jordan Trug. That's another classic celebration. But, but it's, it's spontaneous. How's your, uh, how's your gritty? Struggle. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's a struggle. Brother. Mine is
2: extremely white, it, like un, <laughs> unbelievably white.
1: <laughs> I I think that when, when you see the young, the young kids hit the gritty, I, I love it. And, Some and of it, them are good. And it doesn't matter. It, it's not just in football that you see it. You see it with basketball players doing it. You see it with tennis players doing it. it it's across the board to where certain dance moves, certain celebrations definitely catch on. And one of those that that caught on in in 2004 in the NBA was Sam Cassell and his big kahunas. Hmm. And that one was pretty interesting. And the NBA very rarely frowns upon celebrations, but that was one that they didn't love. Marshawn Lynch diving Uh, in the end zone. Another great celebration that – People love and, and absolutely took advantage of was two things that Cam Newton did. His Superman Cape opened it up the Cape, but also the dab. People got tired of seeing the dab.
2: Yeah, the dab the dab was
1: uh that was big. <laughs> it, it, it was huge. And, and I mean Cam Newton took it to another level, and, and somebody in the app is exactly right about the dab. Loved when Cam Newton would have an opportunity to go ahead get that first down or touchdown either give you the Superman rip and show it to you. Great celebration, classic, capitalized off of it. There's uh, been some great celebrations that not only have been banned or taken away, but Major League Baseball. I mean, shame on you, man. The, the guys hit a home run. You know, you could have something a lot worse than a huge bat flip to take the Atlanta Braves' fun away from They're celebrating a way to hit a home run. I, I don't agree with it. That's why I love the fact that the <laughs> NFL lets you have fun. Cap. I, you know, Mike, I, I will say this. Have, have you ever you, – you, you talked about doing the gritty and, and trying to, to do that. But have you ever – did you ever find yourself doing the dab?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd i be lying if I said – I mean, that's like, that's like when I'm in high school. So, like. You know that's that give you an peek into how old i am uh <laughs> i mean that it w- it was big time, you know yeah I, yeah i i have had a dab or two in my lifetime that's also like kind of before I really like hated auburn so like cam newton i i didn't love cam newton his like m v p year but I certainly didn't you know hate him he was you know it's just cam newton oh doing his doing his little you know he'd do a little cam newton dance little like superman yeah in the hallways, you know. I think that Reggie Miller,
1: you know, spontaneous celebrations are the best, or one to where, like I mentioned earlier, Joe Horn having planted the mm. cell phone in the goalpost padding and then having a way to score. Because it's one thing when you go out to the 50 yard line on the star and you plant the football down and then get absolutely planted by George Teague for doing a celebration like Terrell Owens tried to do in the Dallas Cowboys home. There's certain celebrations that you're not going to get away with and have to pay the price for them. And the Atlanta Braves just were told, look, you hit a home run, you can go back to the dugout and put on a regular new era cap, but you're not going to have an opportunity to wear the big hat only team issued
2: apparel please
1: <laughs> and that's to me that takes away from some of the the fun and the 15 yard penalty for excessive celebration doing the money man sign yeah it's not hurting anything it's just a way to have fun celebrating and embrace the games Mark Calvi coming up here next South Alabama baseball's real hot they play Southern Miss this weekend we'll talk to coach Calvi next Hi, this is Dan Jennings with
0: the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio
1: 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5, and we were talking about, before we went to break, about some of the best celebrations in sports history and the major league Deciding to go ahead and ban the Atlanta Braves from wearing that big hat after a home run in the dugout due to a New Era having licensing agreement on baseball hats. And bringing in Coach Mark Calvi, the head coach of the South Alabama Baseball Program. Coach, we're going to bring you in on our question of the day. The celebrations that are done in baseball. Of course, you have the bat flip. The Braves have the big hat. Do you think that athletes should be able to celebrate and what is the one of the best celebrations of all time that you've seen in sports?
7: Uh, you know what? I just want guys to hit their home run, be happy, and go sit down. No one should make a mockery of anyone else. Um, you know, like any you know in professional sports, it's a trickle-down theory. So what you see the youth do, it probably started in the big leagues with apparel and, and, uh, and really behavior. So um I think if adults if adults uh, act better I think you'll see kids act better. That's kind of my answer to that one. Um you know, hey, hit a home run. Okay, hit a home run, don't embarrass somebody, drop your bat, run. Um you know, we don't need sledgehammers outside and um you know, people saying uh, stupid things to the other team. Just uh you, you know, be humble and and obviously celebrate the good and kind of work through the bad and i'm and i hate to sound like a killjoy but i mean (laughs) uh, we're we're we're, everyone's talking about this so like why you know like if there's issues with it and bean balls and like you know the adults need to get a hold of it and it's usually the adults that cause the problems um let's have the adults get a hold of it and let's go from there so that i and again I, i love fun i love being happy uh, I just don't like embarrassing anybody or rubbing it in anyone's face. And that's been a problem. You know, the big hat and the dugout, whatever, you know, you want to wear a sombrero, keep it in your dugout. Fine. <laughs> keep it in your dugout, but don't, you know, don't, don't rub somebody's nose uh, in, in defeat or, you know, you just don't do that. Just, uh, you know, move on and, and act like uh, you've done it before. And um, because sooner or later, you know, there are two types of people in this game, those that are humble and those that are about to become humbled. So um, just stay humble and, and just do the right thing and act, act normal. That's my answer.
1: I love it, Coach. I mean, everybody has an opportunity to sit and share. That's one of the reasons I ask, because there's so many differencing of opinions, Coach, and and, and you definitely have one that's very validated there. And when you look at being validated in the Sunbelt Conference, there's, like a log jam going on right now. And you guys are playing great baseball, won a huge series against your rival, Troy. And now you're getting ready to play the ugly Eagles is what I'm going to call them from a South (laughs) Alabama standpoint. And you'll have an opportunity to play them in Hattiesburg. But jockeying for position in the Sunbelt Conference is most teams are sitting there tied 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. The top ten make the tournament, and I know this is going to be a huge series for you.
7: Right. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, you look, I think, uh, you, you know, we had blown a couple games early when you look back, and we've won five series in a row. Our, our first two, we, we blew a game or two against uh, Lafayette and Georgia Southern that um, either keep me up at night or, or wake me up. Uh, <laughs> if I do get to sleep, it'll, it'll wake me up. Because when you look at it, you know, literally you're, you're one game out of third, you know, and like two games out of second place. It's, um, th- there's a lot of baseball left. There's nine games left. Um, there could be a lot of movement. Um, you know, I, I don't look at the standings until they really mean something. Uh, and, and right now, uh, it's just a number. Where we stand is just a number. It doesn't matter. It has no reflection. Um, like our play will have no reflection as to where we're at. If we were leading the league um, or we were dead last um uh, obviously would feel better leading the league, but um it, it has no it's no indication of how we're gonna approach um any game or any weekend in this particular case Southern Miss. Last week uh it wasn't like hey we gotta you know we gotta win the series so we can move to fifth or possibly second or there were so many different scenarios you can get confused. I think you you put the uniform on um to win, you know, and then you let other people do their jobs. But you, you just you put it on to win and you let the numbers shake out. Um, where they may and you just do your best to win that game that's in front of you Um, and that's you know what we've done here the last five weeks now obviously we um, the first 25 games we you know we had a couple guys that were nicked up and and we didn't a 70% new team didn't play really good baseball and we had a couple key guys that weren't right Um, and then the last you know the last uh, 20 23 games um, we've gotten some of those guys back and you know, this isn't a brand new team anymore. We've got, uh, I don't know, what, 45, 40, 45 games under our belt, 44 games under our belt, 45 games. And, um, you know, some guys have uh, you know have, have kind of uh, slid into some roles. And um, you got a Jeremy Lee back and, and, and right, you know, back to form. And um, a Zach Willingham back who got hit in the face uh, five weeks ago at Georgia Southern, a, a huge part of our bullpen. And Caden Homnick and Lath Moore, and some people are like, who the heck are those guys? You know exactly. I mean, Lake Moore missed six weeks with a with a medical issue, and Caden Homiak was coming off three surgeries in the last two years. So, like those guys have really strengthened our our pitching staff here um, in the last uh, in the last month, really. And I think we're fifteen and six. Our last twenty-one, something like that, and we've won our last five series. So, um, yeah, this has been a they've been a really good group. Um, you know, they they kept their heads up through some bad play. And, and don't get me wrong, some of our wounds were self-inflicted the first 25 games. There are some things that if I had to do over again, some moves that I did or didn't make, I would have made differently or not made at all, and I'd have some different guys in different positions. But, you know, we talked early in the year. Usually I like to take the first 15 games and kind of figure out who are are my two spots, uh, who's my DH, who's my third baseman, and then, you know, you know pretty much everything else. This year it was, you know, five or six different spots were wide open, and it, it, uh, you know, it took 28 games, 30 games to figure out kind of who needed to go where.
1: Well, Coach, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And, again, you guys started off with a a big-time home win in the series against the Troy Trojans. Of course, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you're going to have an opportunity to go to Hattiesburg and play the Golden Eagles Next Tuesday, you will be back at Stanky Field playing a one game against Tulane. And then, of course, a week from this Friday, Coastal Carolina, who currently leads the Sunbelt Conference, will come into town. Talk about the fans and what this Jag Nation means to you and how big it will be for them not only to join you in Hattiesburg this weekend, but to support your team next week for that home stand against Tulane and Coastal Carolina. Yeah, for
7: sure. And, you know, we uh, we obviously, we um, for us, a home field advantage is real. When you look at our numbers um, over at least my tenure, uh, you know, playing here at Stanky Field has really been an advantage to us. Um, we just, we, we win a, a, a huge portion or percentage of our games when we play at home. Um, so, yeah, having people come out, you know, it's going to be a really good crowd at Southern Miss. They have a very, very loyal fan base. Um, You know, it's an hour and a half away, so we we need as many people out there cheering us on as we can. Our guys definitely hear it, and they respond to that. But, um, yeah, we we have a big, uh, you know, probably the toughest three weeks uh, or the toughest two weeks that we've had in in conference back-to-back. You know, it's a double-edged sword, if you don't play well, you can get buried. But if you play well, you know, we picked up some top 50 wins against Troy who had really good numbers this year, and they have a good club. And, um, you know, when you start looking at your your resume for postseason – um, yes, we had dug, uh, we we had dug a pretty large hole for ourselves, um, but it's possible to climb out of it, um, and and literally, with a couple good weekends, and I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse. We have three conference games left, and a game with Tulane, um, so and I'm really on you know Friday night's game at Southern Miss. But at, when you look at the totality of it, um, and what where we at where we're at, and what we need to do. Um, If we can take care of business, and again, I'm a realist. I know we're we're playing some really good clubs, but baseball, you never know in baseball. You know, you never know how someone's playing or how someone isn't playing. Um, A lot of times it's not who you play, it's when you play them. Um, Who's healthy, who's not, who's hot, who's not, who's cold, who just, uh, you know, the the bad luck bug is biting them. And um, baseball, you can't fight the game. It's just a tough game. You got to just go as hard as you can and, and play, you know, play as long and hard as you can and play to win. But, um, you know, we can do a lot in terms of our resume. And when you look at RPI and, and top 50 wins, and if we can stack some up, um, you know, we have a chance to move. You know, it's not like we're playing teams with, a, you know, 180 RPI where, where it's going to hurt you. We've got some chance to move not only in conference standings, but in the RPI. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, if we take care of business, then you look at, like, you know, conference standings where you're at at the end. Um, you know, a bunch of teams are jumbled up, but, you know, they're one, two, you know, good weekends away from, you know, going from eighth to second, from second to seventh to, you know, from, from sixth or fifth to second or third. Um, so, and if you finish in the top three in this league, top four, you're doing something. It's the, it's the fifth-ranked league in the, in America in terms of RPI, and, and, and rightfully so. So, um, yes, we have, a, we have a tough road to haul with Southern Miss coming up, Coastal, and then on the road at Arkansas State. Um, but our, our guys are up to it. I think we've played our best baseball in the last month. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's really it's not how you start but how you finish, and it's what you learn along the way, um, you know, when you have some adversity.
1: Coach Mark Calvey, can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon and looking to get those J's up and put some more W's in the win column and win and get into that Sunbelt Conference tournament that's in Montgomery, Coach. Thank you so much, and Jays up.
7: Hey,
1: thanks for having me on, Corey. Appreciate it. Mark Calvi, the head baseball coach at South Alabama, joining us this afternoon. Also chiming in on our celebration issue. Coach said, look, touch all four bases, handle your business, and come sit down <laughs> in the dugout. Uh-huh. Have to love that. That couldn't have been, that couldn't have been more perfectly timed. Yeah, I love it. Everybody has that opinion. That's why you need to tune into the final drive or... Chime into the app. We'll give you an opportunity to present that to everyone. And again, the final drive will be right back.
0: Hey,
7: this is Stuart Sink
5: from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNFB Sports Radio and Mobile.
1: the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Corey Bounty, along with Michael Bronner, and now being joined by Future Ones Trent Massey and Trent we can't thank you and Gus enough last Thursday we had an opportunity for all the listeners that came out to walk ons and our draft party to have and receive one of those great WNSP Future Ones t-shirts and they sure did look good yes sir how are you guys doing today man absolutely too blessed to be stressed Trent, and one of the great things that you guys do is not only t-shirt production but you guys of course you have sublimated jerseys sublimated seven on seven and you pretty much can get anything that any coach or athletic program could need not only from apparel but to equipment also
6: yeah that's right Corey. you know one of the things that uh people know us for is obviously our, our apparel and jerseys and, and uh, practice gear and stuff, but uh, just met with a, a middle school here in Mobile last week, and you know, I, he said, hey, I can't find these pads for our sleds. so is that something you can help me with? And of course, I was able to help him, and so we do anything from sleds to just the pads for the sleds to tackle wheels to balls to, I mean, in any sport, we can uh, fulfill any need in, in those areas as well. Well,
1: again, we absolutely loved our WNSP Future One T-shirts here. And I know the listeners did also because everyone who came in and registered, that's what they were asking for. They were asking for the Future Ones WNSP T-shirts. And just like you guys are a champion here in Mobile, you're trying to be a champion nationwide. The LSU Tigers had on your practice jerseys, and their women's team, their scout team, where help, help them win a national championship wearing the Future One practice jerseys.
6: That's right. That's right. You know, uh, we we posted that on our Twitter, at Future One's jerseys, and on Facebook and different things. And even my wife's like, why are there guys wearing their jerseys? I thought that was a girls team. But, you know, I don't know if most people may not know this, but most women's basketball teams, in college at least, uh, they practice against guys all the time, just their you know, to get better and different things like that. So, yeah, they, uh, they were wearing our scout team jerseys this year to be able to highlight, you know, the different numbers and players that they were going to face. And, um, you know, I would like to say that we had a little hand in their national championship.
1: Without question, Trent, you have more than a little hand in national championship because, again, championship apparel is what you all provide. And How can people jump on your website or contact future ones to find out all the great apparel and, again, equipment and shoes that any team, whether it's from the midgets to peewees on up to college, can get?
6: Uh, you can go to futureones.com. That's the word future, the number one and an S, futureones.com. You can email us at sales at And, of course, you can always call us at 877-583-0747. And uh, we'd love to help you out in anything you need.
1: eight seven seven five eight three zero seven four seven or sales at future, the number one S, dot com is how you can reach out to future ones. Trent Massey, can't thank you enough for your time. And again, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thank you, Corey. Trent Massey, co-founder of Future Ones. And if you had an opportunity to come out last week to walk ons and see the Future Ones t-shirts, any event that we have and that we go public to, you'll have an opportunity to pick up one of those WNSP Future One shirts. And they're hot off the presses from last week. And, Michael, they really were liked by all of the people who came in and the listeners to get one.
2: Yeah, man, absolutely. Everyone, you know, it was high-quality stuff, so there's no reason not to like it. You know, next event, we're going to have more of them, so... If there wasn't incentive enough to come out and see your favorite WNSP personalities, now you're going to probably get a T-shirt if you come out as well. So, again, you know, next time come out.
1: Before we go to commercial, that was classic, though, by Coach Calvi in regards to— I
2: couldn't—I was on the other side. Like, I wanted to jump in, but I I, I didn't want to never have Coach Calvi come on again. You couldn't have scripted that better. I I mean, again, it's— Like literally said the opposite of exactly what I said. Like, if you pimp a home run, like, (laughs) celebrate in his face. You don't need to celebrate in his face. (laughs) Like, you could not have planned that better. I promise we didn't plan
1: that. Well, we know who you probably won't be a part of their roster, even in an all-star game, Mike. You know, because, look, just touch all four bases, come sit down, and it's the no-fun zone. Like I said, he wasn't trying to be a killer. He just wants guys to play with great sportsmanship, and there's two – sides to every coin the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 we'll be right back with Paul Gallant covering the Texans who picked one or in the first round picked two and three in the draft so looking forward to talking to him and their selections coming up next here on the final drive Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And Paul Gallant joins us from ESPN 97.5 and does an outstanding job covering the Houston Texans and things that are going on in the Houston athletic area. And Paul, welcome to the final drive. And have a question for you that I've asked my last couple of guests We're talking about today our favorite celebration of all time in sports and whether that's the dirty bird or the new trend, the gritty or the backflip off the NASCAR or the bat flip in baseball. What is one of your favorite or most memorable celebrations in sports of all time?
4: I'm a big fan of when the player hands the ball to the referee. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> my 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 favorite celebration is definitely the Rob Gronkowski spike. Oh. But I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of people that vary it up, too, because a lot of guys have the trademark celebration. I like guys who try to do new things. So if, if I'm being fully honest, anything that either Chad Johnson or Terrell Owens did back in the day, <laughs> those are my favorites because they always kept you on your toes.
1: We were talking about the Joe Horn cell phone that was planted. How how gutsy was that by Joe Horn to actually be able to go behind the gold padding, pull out that cell phone? Of course, he got fined for it, but all this goes back to the Atlanta Braves having the big hat in the dugout that wasn't new era apparel or a cap and officially merchandised and having to put a stop to it.
4: Leave it to baseball to try to ruin all the very little fun that the sport has (laughs) as it is. I'm not the biggest baseball fan. The Astros are the best team in town, so I have to stay on top of it as much as I can. Yeah, that was impressive, hiding it behind the goalpost. But I got to say, Terrell Owens had a sharpie in his ankle, and he scored a touchdown and he signed a football that is really impressive because that's got to be kind of annoying like you, you probably feel that in your ankle as you're running down the field and it's probably going to limit you a little bit
1: that and the fact that he could stand on the star and get clocked by george teague absolute classic and then get up right after it happened that was awesome <laughs> it is it is and you know what was awesome for the texans is the fact that no one thought that they were going to go quickly with will anderson and cj stroud to me they could have completed the draft after they selected those two because that's what a lot of Texans wanted them to see, a quarterback and then a lifetime defensive end who had one heck of a career at Alabama and now is officially, like his head coach, Alabama alum.
4: Yeah, you're pumped about that. Uh, I, I will admit I mean, they did give up a lot to get Will Anderson. And for any Star Wars fans listening, in the words of Grand Moff Tarkin, this is better work. And by the way, right <laughs> after he said that, the Death Star, which he was in command of, blew up. So, you know, you got to think about the worst-case scenario. If you traded all of this for Will Anderson and he's not that guy, or if you spin it to yourself, that you actually were trading for C.J. Stroud, which some people have been trying to go galaxy brain and claim. I mean, they gave up a lot. It was big risks. But here's the interesting thing, and and I think I talked about this last time I was on with you guys. They needed to do something that was going to get fans to care again. And not only does drafting a quarterback second overall do that, trading back up into the first round and getting another player does that too. And at the very least, there was actual buzz about this team before the games begin. They didn't get a guy like C.J. Stroud at the top and maybe trade out of that number two overall pick, which I think some people were nervous they would do. People aren't really going to be talking about them unless they won like the first five, six games of the year. So there's interest in the team again. The rest of the draft, I felt like they addressed some other needs interior offensive line linebacker wide receiver and you're hoping that that combined with some of the free agent signings that they made this offseason are going to lead to at the very least a team that is competitive in a way that they thought they would be this past year
1: henry To'o, To'o falls into the fifth round and if you're D'Amico ryan's knowing his Alabama pedigree, you have to be licking your chops, knowing that you have an opportunity to get someone in the fifth round at pick number one sixty seven. And a lot of criticism, fair or not, is gonna go into D'Amico Ryan Ryan's getting Alabama players. But if it pans out for him, which most Nick Saban players do at that position, especially the value of To'o To'o in the fifth round when he's projected second or third round value, the Texans and D'Amico Ryans can build an Alabama Crimson Tide roster also.
4: I'm sure you guys can tell me a whole lot more than I can about Henry To'o To'o, but, I mean, (laughs) you saw what the Eagles did. The team that made it to the Super Bowl in the NFC, they're drafting all Georgia guys. I'm totally cool with the Texans drafting all Alabama guys and you know you you talk about Tolo and I think the thing that's really interesting about him is that from what I understand the guy's fast he can move and the Texans had some slow ass linebackers in coverage last year and look if you got linebackers that can't move that can't run that can't cover what are you doing in today's league you know you got so many running backs that are good receivers now you got so many tight ends that are good receivers right now. And I think that one thing that a lot of people liked about D'Amico Ryan's and something that I think is what helped him get the job is that this is a guy that over the course of his career, both as a player and as a coach has been a bit of a coach on the field. You go back to his time in Philadelphia when he was a middle linebacker there, Eagles had a young linebacker whose name is eluding me right now. They coached him up. But more importantly and more recently, D'Amico Ryan's helped turn Fred Warner, third round pick, into arguably the best middle linebacker in the NFL. And I know that we could get into a back and forth on that. But that's what you're looking for with Ryans. And I mean, guess what? There's another Alabama linebacker already on the roster and Christian Harris, who looked really good in the second half of the year. So hopefully D'Amico, Ryan, and all the Alabama running backs can get together and create a really elite middle of this defense.
2: Paul, what's the ceiling in year one with CJ Stroud, Will Anderson, and D'Amico, Ryan's? I mean, the division is bad.
4: Yeah, that is a big help. <laughs> I think we're all looking at an AFC South that's going to have potentially two first-time starters if Will Levis replaces Ryan Tannehill. And on top of that, you've got Anthony Richardson, who seems to be really raw. I'm not as high on the Jaguars as other people are. (laughs) I can't quite shake out of my head how bad Trevor Lawrence was in the first quarter of that game against the choking dog. Los Angeles Chargers, who have just taken blowing leads and blowing games to a new art over the last 20 years. But they are a good team. They're clearly the number one team in the division. If you're gambling money, you should bet on the Jaguars to win it. But the teams that the Texans are playing this year that don't seem to have much of a pulse include the Cardinals, the Saints, the Buccaneers, you could argue every single AFC South team, <laughs> plus a game against the Falcons, a game against the Panthers. So there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule. I, I think that asking for more than seven wins is probably crazy. I think six wins, seven wins is probably about where you should put the ceiling of this team this coming year.
2: How good does C.J. Stroud or I guess Will Anders because like you said, you can make the argument, oh, you traded up for C.J. Stroud, which I think is a fair point to make, but how good do both of these guys need to be to justify <laughs> what they gave up? Because there's a chance the Cardinals could have one and two in next year's draft.
4: If if they stink next year, I would be shocked if Nick Casario kept his job, the general manager of the Texans. It's it's that simple. They have to show a pulse this coming season, and if it's another early draft pick that they're giving up, which they are more than familiar with of late, having traded a couple of first-round picks to get Laramie Tunstall, who... To his credit, has been a great player, but you still end up in trading Laramie Tunsil. The Texans didn't have a first-round pick after a disastrous 2020 going into 2021. and It was almost impossible to create any buzz for uh, um, the team going into that season. And they are David Cully, too. Good God. I'm getting nightmares and flashbacks back to it. He did an okay
2: job, Paul.
4: Sorry, one more time. Uh, you cut out for a second.
2: He did an okay job. David Culley did. The Texans walked. The, oh. Used him to walk over the river. <laughs> yes. That,
4: oh boy, guys, it's it's been it's been so bad. It's just been so so bad the last couple of years. And I mean, you, you could have. You could have told me that whoever they took with the second or third overall pick, you could have you could have told me anything about him. I, I would be excited because there's not much to be excited about. We're just in the bottom of a well, looking straight up into the air like Batman in the Dark Knight Rises. Just <laughs> like any sliver of hope, we are going to take it and we are going to squeeze and enjoy every single drop that we can from that thing.
1: One of the biggest things, though, Paul, and one of the benefits next year, C.J. Stroud hopefully will have John Mechie third to throw to. And what a comeback <laughs> story there, coming back from leukemia and actually hopefully seeing him remain healthy, that going to remission, and just being able to, to show his and showcase all the skills that we know he has.
4: You know, right before you guys called, I was on Instagram, and the Texans posted a video that – show John Mechie running up and down on a practice field with with weights. And I mean, damn, that guy's been through a lot. You gotta respect the toughness of a guy who's not only been coming back from a serious knee injury, but also, you know, a serious disease that scared the hell out of a lot of us. So everyone's rooting for him. And I mean, are are you guys adopting the Texans as the uh, official uh, NFL team of your show? Given all the Alabama guys they got, you got it. I mean, I get
2: like get in line, Paul. There's a lot. There's a lot of teams that you, you can apply that to. That's a
4: fact. Oh yeah, now. that's
2: a. You know what? That see what
4: a flex. What a flex <laughs> by you guys. <laughs> that is <that's>, hilarious.
1: <laughs> well, Paul, I, I tell you, we we love talking to you, and and continuing to follow what the Texans have done, and they did make the fan base not have a revolt because they did get C.J. Stroud. Now, hopefully, C.J. will be able to lead this franchise in the right direction and help Miko Ryans out also. How can people follow all of your outstanding coverage of everything that's all Houston?
4: You guys are great hype men. Uh, on Twitter, Aklan says you can also watch my stuff, youtube.com slash Paul Gallant. Uh, We do a little bit of digital stuff on the side. Uh, There's a lot of ADD and a lot of weirdness, and you got to bear with the Star Wars references. But I appreciate you guys. You guys have a great day.
1: Thanks. Paul Gallant joining us here on The Final Drive. And we'll be back to put the finishing touches because WNSP Now, Throw It Deep, is coming up at 5.30. So we'll put the finishing touches right after this break.
0: Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney, and you're listening
1: to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5, and, of course, we have been talking about the best celebration of all time in sports. What do you think it is? Of course, the new fad is. Of course, the gritty, but all this comes from the question being asked because the Atlanta Braves had a big hat in their dugout after hitting home runs and New Era shut it down and the backflip off NASCAR, that that's pretty good. Soul Train lines, I enjoy those. The celebrations that have been brought up in the app, the Ole Miss player lifting his leg in the end zone like a dog after scoring a touchdown that cost his team the Egg Bowl, that's that's a pretty classic celebration, but we all have that favorite celebration of all time, and I even got a chance to see Michael Bronner's best gritty impersonation. It was pretty good,
2: to be honest with you. I was I was pretty impressed. Yeah, you hyped me up a little bit on that. I didn't I didn't think it was great, but that was real sweet of you. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I
1: mean, when you go back to again the Funky Chicken, the Dirty Bird, I, I think that all celebrations to where. You look at it, whether it Money Manziel celebration. I love that one. Also, there's been several that come across. Joe Horn and the cell phone is is one that we talked about. That was that had it had to go perfect for Joe Horn. It makes you wonder how long that cell phone <laughs> had been in the goal pad. Whether I wish Fox or whoever covered that game, CBS had actually shown him. And not run the footage until after he did it. See, this is us knowing that he was going to score a touchdown today, showing the footage there. But that was definitely a classic one for sure. The Michael Jordan shoulder shrug after going crazy against the Blazers. I mentioned the one with Sam Cassell and having big kahunas. That one didn't go over too well with the NBA. The finger wag was a pretty good one by Dikembe Mutombo. Icky Shuffle. One of my favorites also of all time. And there's just been some great celebrations. And hit us up in the app as to what is your favorite scene celebration of all time. Coach Calvi, he he said, look, just touch all four bases. He's not for the bat flip. Doesn't like the bat flip at all. Mark Calvey, the head coach of South Alabama. I was surprised to hear that from him. And, and look, he, he said he didn't want to, to put – A damper on anybody's spirits. He believes in people having
2: fun. He just thinks there's other ways to have fun than the. He said it so like matter-of-factly that it makes me wonder if he was listening right before we had him on and heard me say, "Ah, like screw you if if you don't like it." He might have been listening. I,
1: I love it, Rodriguez using his putter as a sword after. Having a nice golfing or a nice putt, that was pretty classic, too. Great celebrations. Classic Tiger fist bump.
2: Can't, can't can't go wrong with
1: that. No, you can't go wrong with those either. So those are things that we've been talking about today. And Sammy Sosa blowing the kiss, that was a classic one. And the, the Bash brothers meeting each other at home plate, that's pretty good. But, you know, you don't like the NFL. No, when they banned the celebrations or started throwing flags, I love the joint celebrations. The planned celebrations are always great and fun to watch, for sure. And the creativity that they have is also fun to watch. And, again, don't forget, you can go ahead and nominate the final drive for a Nappy Award. VoteNappies.com. It opened up today to where you go to media.
2: Well, make, make no show. mistake, the final drive is nominated for a Nappy Award. You can vote the final drive for a Nappy Award. It's an honor just to be nominated. Gotta it get, really is. I want to thank everybody
1: for that. I want to thank everyone who put in their votes. And, again, we want to beat the opening kickoff markheim and lee Shabani and nick wiggins yeah we, they, we, we don't want them we don't want them to be like georgia and go
2: back to back did you hear the show this morning like they have biden and trump campa- campaigning for them so it's gonna <laughs> it's going gonna be tough out. to be yeah it's gonna be tough to nick, nick's using ai which which might be like i think that might be cheating honestly <laughs> but we'll we'll have to address what what is allowed and what's not allowed in terms of nappy campaigning i honestly think all things might be on the table so we'll have to have a discussion about that but really like 92 zoo our our sister station over there by the way has won best radio station in mobile 20 years in a row the real question is can wnsp prevent 92 zoo from getting to legal drinking age and that 20-year streak because we're nominated for best radio station in mobile can can that happen is the question.
1: Bring it all back to 1100 Dolphin Street. That's all I can say. We want everything to come back to 1100 Dolphin Street. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the final drive today and chiming in on what your favorite celebration of all time is athletically. You can keep them coming in the apps. So I'll make sure I do respond to those. And throw it deep. It's coming up next. WNSP now and of course you can go ahead and make sure you tune in tomorrow for another great final drive show. Coming up tomorrow of course we have Brandon Marcello, Lindsey Crosby, Joe Gaither, Brian Stoltz, Tide and Tiger Report coming your way and of course we'll talk about the game sites for college football's playoffs, the times as well and our highest paid athletes. We'll get on top of that tomorrow on the final drive. Thanks for Hanging out with me on this hump day. Michael Brawner, throw it deep, Brawner. Not the incompletion. Throw it deep for a touchdown to your partner on the other end. We'll be talking to you tomorrow.
4: This is Jim Nagy, the Executive Director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSC 105.5.